Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Creative Control with Vish So I was telling a friend my feelings about cultural appropriation and headdresses in particular. And my friend's like, well, hurry to play devil's advocate. A white man invented basketball. And when I last checked, mostly black people play it. So why can't I wear a headdress? Genocide. That's why you can't wear a headdress. Genocide. First of all, why do people want to play devil's advocate, right? It's basically a phrase that you could hide behind to say whatever fucked up shit you want to say and pretend you're being objective, right? More importantly, why does the devil need an advocate? He's the devil. Why does the prince of darkness need your help? Like, what are you telling me is happening here exactly? Like, hey, Steve, it's me, the devil. I need your help right now. See that woman over there that's saying men and women should be paid equally in the workforce? Well, I want you to tell her on my behalf that she should shut the fuck up. Because women take maternity leave, that costs companies money, so she should shut up. Tell her that on my behalf. That is not what's happening here. It's just something you could hide behind so you don't look as bad, which is weird, because how doesn't it make you look bad to hide behind the devil? No, Steve's not an asshole. He just does Satan's bidding. That's all. Hari Kanobulu is a very funny and incisive stand-up comedian who lives in Brooklyn, New York. He has written for shows like Totally Biased with W. Camus Bell and appeared on The Late Show with David Letterman, Conan and John Oliver's New York stand-up show, among many, many others. And he co-hosts the Untitled Kondobulu Brothers podcast with his brother Ashok, who was in the hip-hop outfit Das Racist. In 2014, Kill Rockstars released his highly acclaimed and hilarious stand-up album, Waiting for 2042, and they have just released his excellent, uncompromising follow-up, 
mainstream American comic, which is a wonderful mix of absurd observational stories and socio-political commentary. He's just about to kick off an extensive American tour between now and the end of September. And here to discuss some of these things is Hari Kondabulu. Uh, hi, Hari. How are you? Hi, Vish. But first of all, we need to do some uh, some corrections. Yes. First of all. This happened last time. I make this mistakes. Happened, this happened last time. Let's get it out of the way. It's Hari Kondabolu. Right. Uh, so that's one Kondabolu. Kondabolu, uh, yeah. Right. It's uh, not Kamu, but Kamau. Kamau Bell. Kamau Bell. Okay, this is okay, good. good. Okay. And, the, and the Kondabolu Brothers uh, podcast hasn't been done in two years. <laughs> um, it is still a thing that we discuss. And that fans ask us to do, but uh, I have since started a podcast with uh, with Kamau, and I've been really busy, and so is my brother, and uh, spending uh, the hours and hours to edit something that is really poorly recorded, but somehow yet uh, yet still loved, uh, has become harder to do. Oh, so. I'm with you on that. I know <laughs> what that's like. <laughs> uh, so yeah. you just did a thing with uh, Kamau with uh, Amy Goodman, didn't you? Yeah, we we recorded that a couple of days ago. It came out yesterday. Yeah, that and I haven't had, I obviously haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, or I'd know how to pronounce his name. This is good. Normally, I would ask my guests about pronunciation questions before we start rolling, but I just figured, you know, I I know stuff. I just felt really cocky. Like I got a guy, I know how to say his name. You know, I thought I, I'd be really smart. And yeah, I thought we were friends, so this whole <laughs> thing has caught me off guard. <laughs> but you, you, you deal with this. Somebody. You deal with this all the time, right? That people don't know how to say your name. Yeah, but normally I don't like them. Oh yeah, that's true. You're right. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. <laughs> but you, you actually said Vish properly, which is nice because yeah. people give me. You know I why? You know why Vish? Oh man, because I care, so I remembered. <laughs> I'm sorry, Hari. I'm very sorry. I, this is a bad start, but I think <laughs> we were off to a bad start last time too. Remember? I know, and it went great. We had a it great did. time last time. Yeah, <laughs> but of course, things are a little more bleak now than they were then, where we could spend 25 minutes talking about Weezer. I feel like right, right. <laughs> I feel like now, you know, as we're speaking, the Democratic National Convention. Oh, you're talking nationally. I thought you meant personally. No, 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 no. Everything's fine for me. I have a couple of kids and right, okay. I'm just busy all the time. You're doing extremely well. No, you, it's the opposite of bleak for us. We're right, right. We're, we're fine. We're peaking as the world's falling apart. Yes, yes, and. As I was saying, as we're speaking, the the DNC is wrapping up. The uh, Republican National Convention was the week prior. From your perspective, tonally, what kind of future for America have these events envisioned for citizens of your country? Have you thought about this much, Hari? Yeah, yeah. I've uh, you know I've seen films about uh, authoritarian futures. I've also seen <laughs> films about prehistoric times and. I could imagine both those possibilities uh, for this country. Um, it, it is devastating. It is very scary to think about the future. But more than that, I think it's scary to think about what the present actually is. I don't think I, you know, I, I didn't think there were this many people that would support Donald Trump. I thought he was a Mickey Mouse candidate. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you write, you write in Mickey Mouse because you don't care and it's a protest. Or you're just being dumb. You're being stupid. And you don't think Mickey Mouse will win, and all of a sudden Mickey Mouse will win. Except Mickey Mouse is harmless. This guy is a fucking maniac, <laughs> and somehow he's. I mean, that's. It's funny. The media can't straight up say that Donald Trump is a maniac because apparently that sounds biased. But I, to me, 
objectively he feels like a maniac. He does things that maniacs do. There, he, there seems to be a slight, very, very slight pushback now uh, that you see from time to time where people are trying to really call him on stuff. And the other day he just told someone to be quiet. He told an NBC reporter, just be quiet. And that that is a telling moment because she was just trying to scrutinize what he was saying. You know what's also telling uh, is the fact that the news covers him more than other candidates throughout this election, even though he's treating them terribly. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the fact that CNN, for example, showed a this is a this is a, a few weeks ago they showed a a empty stage where Donald Trump uh, was supposed to come out. They chose to show that empty stage over uh, Bernie Sanders addressing thousands of people. Yeah. Yeah, they're feeding the beast. I mean, this guy is a, a, a ratings bonanza, I guess, is what their rationale is. Even if it, it, It's the same reason that uh, his show was a hit. Yeah. He treated people like shit on television to huge ratings for money. That was his show. That was The Apprentice. That's what he did. <laughs> Saying you're fired in front of millions of people is a shitty thing to do. And he was rewarded with a show and money. And now we're rewarding him again for being an asshole to us. That's weird. Right. So it's, 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 this is not unprecedented when it comes to this guy and the way Americans rally around his projects, whether he's on the WWE, whether he's on The Apprentice. He is something people like a heel, I guess, or people, yes. people also like a guy who seems to be telling it like it is. All this stuff. Is that really true, though? Do, I mean, it seems he's to be. Assen- he's essentially the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase. You are correct. <laughs> he is. He, he is a 1980s caricature of a uh, eccentric, rich person yeah, who also could wrestle. I don't think he can wrestle, but the rest of it is, uh, is accurate. He's like Ted DiBiase and Mr. Perfect, maybe ravishing Rick Rude. He's like a combo of all of them. Wait, how do you see Ravishing Rick Rude and Mr. Perfect in this? Well, I mean, they're both kind of vain, and they like right. to talk about their their attributes a lot. You, you, are you saying that Mr. Perfect and Ravishing Rick Rude are a little too good-looking to be? Yeah, I, I feel like Ted DiBiase's ego covers all of it. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. too good-looking. And, and Ted DiBiase, to be fair, is is better-looking than, than Donald Trump had better hair, better setup, but like, you know, I you know, it's, it's a sh- we need some example. Yeah, like, sure. How else are we going to compare him to uh, WWE superstars? Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. And I was just racking my brain to think of wrestlers I could remember to stay uh, stay with you on that uh, on that comparison. That's what <laughs> happened there because I was like, well, DiBiase had Virgil. I don't think Trump had. Anyway, I don't want to go down this road. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Trump would have a Virgil. Is what I'm I, saying. If Herman. Uh... Oh, Herman Cain, right. He was in the... Oh, or not even... Better yet, Ben Carson. Right. Because Virgil didn't uh, talk very much, and Ben Carson talks very slowly. Herman Cain, like, talked a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Herman Cain would be like, Coco, beware. Oh, yeah. It's getting... I feel like this is getting... We're going down a... I don't think we're... I don't think this is appropriate, what we're doing right now. Oh, yeah, there's going to be a certain point where we're really going to dig a hole that we will not get out of. <laughs> Both uh, in terms of... 
people not being interested in professional wrestling, people who are turned off that I know so much about professional <laughs> wrestling, and some of the racial undertones of the comparisons <laughs> that we're making. So, yeah, I think there's all sorts of issues that could derail us both in this interview and uh, in our career path. Yeah, I think you're right. We should maybe ease back a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Moore said recently that he's legitimately afraid that Trump will actually be president. Weeks earlier... He suggested one of the only ways he thought we could defeat him in November. Well, you. Leave me out of it. I'm Canadian. I don't know what's going on down there. But right. One of the only ways to defeat him in November was to incessantly satirize and mock him. I've been wrestling with this because I don't know that that's working. I think he's mocking us, and he behaves like this blustery comedian and treats almost every public event as like a, a set almost like <laughs> like a, everything's a joke and any attention we pay him just feeds the beast do you have any sense of what his achilles heel really might be because i i just feel like we're feeding this beast constantly like you say like the media is doing i don't know how we take him down a peg oh yeah first of all i think you're absolutely right i think that any attention is good attention for him because um by satirizing him and mocking him constantly, that feeds his supporters who are like, this is the thing with the mainstream media and we are not properly represented and when we have a candidate, he's mocked in this way and he represents us. It just feeds those insecurities that the culture is changing and doesn't reflect accurately what a chunk of America uh, thinks America is. So like already satirizing him, I don't think is going to support him in that way. Yeah. Uh, it's going to hurt him in that way. And two, it's just more attention. Good attention or bad attention, it puts him out there. So, I mean, you ignore him, which, you know, you can't do. You lower the amount of coverage and how you cover him. That's one way to do it. Um, but I don't know anything else. Like, what do you do? I don't – I mean, think about this. He, uh, the, he was accused of raping his ex-wife. That didn't do it. Yeah. He makes comments about how attractive his daughter is and if she wasn't related, like, you know, maybe he'd date her. That doesn't, like, incest doesn't seem to, to throw him off. Blatant racism, blatant sexism, like, that doesn't do it. Um, lack of knowledge of basic uh, current events. The fact that he doesn't really represent people because he has so much money, so how could he represent a lot of the people? Yeah. Who are supporting him? He doesn't. None of this. He do, he used to be a Democrat. He he was he was pro-choice before. Uh, he talked about how he'd be willing to pay for abortions, uh, not not because he's kind and he wants to support women, but because if he got somebody pregnant in an affair, he would pay for an abortion. I mean, this guy is every kind of evil, unethical, not really Christian, not really Republican. Um, every, any demographic in this country should have something to hate him about. Yeah. Yet he's winning somehow. Right, because tied into all of that is a general mistrust of facts uh, and a mistrust of the media. I mean, I do think that in the end, we've made some jokes about how the media is culpable in this, but because of the way they've presented information, people, I think, rightfully, are suspicious of them and don't trust facts. I mean, there, there's even a few instances on your record where you make jokes about uh, drone strikes. Yeah. You make jokes about pro-life proponents, and the crowd gasps and groans at how harsh you're being and making jokes 
about murder. Like they're real things. That has actually happened. Yeah, these are things oh, that are oh, real. One clarification. One clarification. Yes. Uh, the murder part is just in terms of the drone strikes. Right. Sure. For sure. For the pro-choice stuff, I you know I would argue differently. Well, no, I actually mean the people that uh, have taken it as their right to actually kill people who uh, offer people the service of an abortion. You know what I'm saying? Like there's oh, oh yes, like killing a abortion provider. Yes, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think there's these are facts, and these are things that people like. E- even in that visceral reaction that people have, are like, "Whoa, Harry, you went too far." That's how you know we're ill-informed and we're fucked up when words uh, are more seen as more audacious than the actual things they describe. Yeah. And and that's that, absurd. and that seems to be where Trump. That's the loophole he's found is that people don't trust actual truth and facts, and that seems to be why he's skating by, just being a complete asshole. Years uh, of America being a country where we were more interested in branding and how something is packaged and simple messaging. I mean, that's how you sell products. Yeah, that's that's good business. You don't talk about the risks of Coca Cola. You talk about how how wonderful it is, how it's America. You don't talk about the fact it's full of sugar, it leads to uh, obesity, that it leads to diabetes. You don't talk about facts. You just show how good it is, how people like, how people like it. America, yeah. patriotism. He's doing the same thing. And, and he's irresistible. Like you say, the only way out is to cover him less. And that might have been possible in the primaries, but now how is that possible i mean now it's like oh you're covering him less because of the liberal media i mean it, it they the media created this monster yeah there is no doubt about that a person like this should not get the attention that he's that he's historically gotten it doesn't make any sense think about other candidates who are fringe candidates who have run in the past mm-hmm. they did not get the same amount of attention they didn't have the same personality but they didn't get the same level of attention. Like Ross Perot had to, he bought TV time. He bought, if you remember, if you remember this in the 92 yep. election, yep. he bought an hour of national television to talk about how great he was and what his plans were. We're giving those hours away for free to Donald Trump. Yeah. And I mean, you're a fan of Senator Bernie Sanders and his platform. And in terms of spreading the word about his ideas, he actually did accomplish a lot with, with, like comparably less support from the media. Um, how would you actually characterize his messaging in support of Hillary Clinton in recent weeks? I mean, first I'd say that um, I can both say that I'm very grateful for Bernie Sanders's run. The fact it's put class issues um, on the map again for this country, mm-hmm. really discuss it. It, it continues some of the work in terms of messaging from Occupy Wall Street. It doesn't let us forget. It, it proposes uh, other paths, whether it's seen as realistic or not. It, it poses some kind of alternative and, and at least acknowledges this system isn't the system that we have. There needs to be more checks. There needs to be more things directed towards, you know, uh, you know, you know, protecting the people of this country and not just uh, from a fear of a, a foreign invader, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, for all that, it's great. I can acknowledge all that while also saying his candidacy has, has hurt Hillary Clinton. I think that, that is fair. The fact he didn't pull out sooner has hurt Hillary Clinton. Now, you can argue whether that's good or bad, whether the message is more important than the practical nature of an election, whether he had a realistic chance, you know, whether this will push her further to the left. You can argue that, and you can also argue that 
it's harder. And now it, it makes it um, a little trickier. And the fact that it took so long to endorse her, her you know, hurt her. But at the same time, you know, you were talking about the messaging and the support. He's been saying that this thing was rigged, and then we find out that it was rigged. Yeah. That doesn't help. No, you know? no, no, it doesn't. I mean, so it's, And do you expect a presidential candidate who has won a, a many states and had a legitimate chance, and if, this, if superdelegates were non-existent or unreasonable, this would be a, a much different race? Do you, do you expect that person to be there simply to boost uh, the other's candidacy because it is seen as more realistic, even though her views are sharply, you know, in certain ways against his and, 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 and are not real, uh, you know, have not proven to be things that she cares about historically. You, do you expect the other candidate to boost her? No. So it's just, uh, you know, I feel like I, w- I wish she had pulled out sooner. I wish she had supported her sooner considering where we all, but uh, where we are. But at the same time, I understand. Right. And I mean, as you say, we've it's come to light that the, the Democratic National Committee clearly meddled in the campaign between Sanders and Clinton in, in, in her favor. And, you know, you've offered your take on that. Irony of all ironies, considering that the big discussion for a few months was whether the RNC was going to meddle and get Trump out. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Whether they would put another candidate in and then you find out the whole time they had a candidate in mind for the DNC and they were going to push for that. So it just... You know, the same uh, energy that made the DNC look bad, no, sorry, the, R- the same energy that made the RNC look bad, the same kind of, oh, the system's rigged, I can't believe this, this is not a merit democracy, how disgusting, how could they be discussing that? Oh, crap, the Democrats have been doing that from the beginning. Yet, at the uh, in, in President Obama's speech at the DNC, there was at least at least one, I thought, fleeting moment where he seemed to acknowledge Sanders. And I know that that's a calculated move to galvanize the room and, yes. and their supporters. But and I and did you see the cutaways to, to Bernie and his wife? Yeah, they're weird. The whole thing. He looked uh, well, one, there was that moment where I saw her recording on her iPad. And I, I thought that was weird. <laughs> like, you do know that it's on television. <laughs> I mean, you you can't record you being, you know, shot you know what i mean recorded <laughs> not even getting that's part of the experience for a lot of people and so the whole thing is bizarre so, right. uh, but, and, he, and and sanders didn't look excited i don't think he's big on this kind of shit to begin to begin with pageantry no no he's a modest pageantry. he seems like the the frustrating thing for me watching it from here is that he seemed like a legitimately decent consistent guy like the the, the ideal on some level like I, I hear what you're saying about him not pulling out of the race sooner and 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 i I can kind of sense from your voice that you're even begrudgingly saying that a little bit maybe because you support what he stands for right yeah yeah but i'm also somebody who uh, thinks practically about um you know what has to be done and at what time and didn't did if if it's very easy in a lot of ways to erode core values and to destroy things that help uh, poorer people. It is harder to try to fix those things. Yeah. And yeah. that's an uphill battle. And we had to know with Bernie Sanders, he likely wasn't going to win. It was an uphill ba- battle. It was a heroic effort. And more importantly, you would hope 
just like Occupy Wall Street did and a lot of the other movements that are happening right now, whether it's Black Lives Matter or gay rights movement, a lot of stuff, um, that it has pushed things a little further and that is leading to something much bigger down the line. So, you, I mean, change is going to be slow. So, you know, that's, I feel like at a certain point you have to be like, we accomplished what we needed to accomplish for now. Yeah. It has been done. And if people are foolish enough to think that the work was the president, we're falling into the same trap we fell into in 2008. Right. right. He wasn't He wasn't the solution. He was a person who was much more reasonable, inspiring. I'm talking about Barack Obama. Yes. And, you know, had the possibility, we hoped, of him being pushed. But that's what this is about. Can we keep pushing? Do, do, you, do you feel like Obama's... There's been a lot of hand-wringing about his presidency and its efficacy. Do you think he was an effective leader? I mean, I think that the system's fucked up. I think that, like, it was stacked against him. I also think he really wasn't as much to the left as we thought. I think he's more left than he's showing. Yes. Because, you know, he's in a, this weird position. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a, in some way, a, if America is a corporation, he's a CEO. And so you can't really, you do certain things because you have to. Um, I think that he's been great in terms of some of the social stuff. Yeah, and as a statesman, I mean, I'm seeing it more and more, certainly in, in the vacuum that is my social media feed, you know, where I'm, it's an echo chamber for maybe the things I believe in. But there's this sentiment that he will really be missed as a statesman. And I you, I don't know if you watched his speech last night uh, or if, if you pay much attention to him when he's out and about. I imagine you do. Uh, yeah. He, yeah. He, he has a certain dignity and grace that I don't recall seeing in political figures and Absolutely true. He has a dignity, a grace, a sense of humor. Uh, he's a great speaker and not just inspiring, but also, I mean, if you see him at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, he's, he's a president that people see as fun and young and exciting and thoughtful. I mean, there's all that's been incredible. I also know he's somebody who's made a lot of concessions. I mean, even in the speech that he was giving, he was naming the people that will not destroy America, fascists, this, and he mentioned communists. Yeah. And you heard that moment too, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. Immediately, it was like, why did he throw that in there? And that's because there is a certain contingent that is still living in the Cold War era, sees the communists uh, or, uh, as it was as a major threat still, or at least is, is triggered into thinking that. And I, and I think to myself, people think Bernie Sanders uh, was a communist. In, in a certain way, yeah, you know, in a certain, you know, with a lack of historical context, people have an image of what, uh, you know, socialism is, and they think it's it's what happened uh, in the Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah. And so when he threw that in there, I'm like, why do that now? Who are you? Are, are you are you dog whistling for a certain base of people? Are you? dog whistling because you were accused of being a communist and all these things were thrown at you. Why did you say that? So there, there have been times, even in his best moments, where I feel that he's compromised. Well, I think that's a, it's a political rally. It's an it's a, it's a internationally televised event, and certainly it's a nationally televised event where he's trying to galvanize a, a voting, or rather speak to, certainly, I think, Trump supporters as much as your own. Um, right. So I think, yeah, he threw those little things in there to be like, just so you understand, 
you know, it's it, we're a few months away from the decision, so to speak. But I think that's what those things are for. Um, you're dealing yeah. with an uneducated, ill-informed electorate in some instances, and you need to speak to them. Uh, and and that sucks uh, and, on some level. But it's yeah, especially it's, when you believe in elevating. Yes, exactly. You're right. Um, that is that is a very frustrating thing when you when you want uh, to elevate a population. Yeah, uh, and also because it, it it's it's underneath his actual uh, intelligence and and the nuance that he brings, and and that's that's been frustrating. However, you know, it's not done yet. You know, I mean, I don't think Guantanamo is going to be um, closed. While he's here, but you know, he's already made a lot of comments uh, this last year where he's been blunt about how he feels about certain things. Because at this point, it really doesn't matter. Like, yes, yeah. it's it's, uh, it's towards the end, and also at some t- point, he's going to have the ability to part. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Pardon a bunch of people. Yeah. Right at the end, as they as every president does, they pardon a bunch of people. And my thought is, well, who, who is that? Is it going to be symbolic or is it going to be a big thing? Is he going to pardon everybody who is in prison or at least a lot of people who are in prison for nonviolent crimes that involve marijuana possession or sale? Is that going to be part of what he does? Mm-hmm. You know, is, is he going to uh, pardon any political prisoners? What is he going to do? I've heard that Leonard Pelche is among the people that may be released. Did you hear that? No, I didn't. I mean, maybe it was a a gag link in my feed, but I, I, I believe that is something that might be in the offing. So, so yeah, I mean, yeah, the whole system's so strange because at at this point he's got to think about his legacy and all those things, and it's and a lot of. That job is just pandering to people and placating people, right? I mean, it's it must be complicated. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Carter is a great example of that, and he was somebody who tried to push, you know, and it, it cost him in some ways. Yeah. And as soon as he got out, he was like, "All right, let's get on with it. Let's get on with the work of doing actual work." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You Maybe been... he's in the same position. I don't know. Yeah, I think he might be because I think he's a smart, sensitive guy, and I, I don't. That's just. You know, I I don't think he's my buddy, but I I, I could relate more to uh, Barack Obama than any other president that you have had in my lifetime. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I I would as well. Yeah, now, you've been talking a lot about how hilarious your mom is of late, which uh, I I can relate to because my mom's sort of funny. Does she offer you her take on the political state of America? She's not happy. 
she gets very disappointed. I don't think it's not necessarily the most nuanced take, but it's it's she's you know this is not um, certainly the America she thought she was in, and it upsets her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't you know it's just it's just a lot of shaking her head and just being disappointed, and you know it's more that than anything else. What what prompted you to kind of bring your mom into your work more? Um, she's 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 just funny. She's just funny to you, right? She's funny. She's thoughtful. She's you know th- th- she's so many complicated things, and and she's such a big part of my life. And I and I don't talk about my mother very much, even though she's also one of my best friends and somebody who's you know shaped me and my brother's comedy too. Like we're we're funny because of her. Yeah, and. I think for years I resisted um, talking about my immigrant parents because I worried how that would be viewed. Like, oh, so hacky. Of course, he's talking about his immigrant parents. Uh, it's so typical. It's been done before. And then, you know, I finally got over that. Like, everybody has parents. That's a universal. They shape you. Mm-hmm. It's a universal thing. I have the right to talk about my parents, and it's about how you talk about them. And my parents, the way I talk about them is not that they're – wacky immigrants that they don't know anything i don't use the accent i talk about them as full people i talk about my mom's personality you know that's a big to make a person a person you have to talk about their personality you have to talk about their brains and their wit yeah yeah and so i mean that was huge for me let me represent my parents who are immigrants in a way that um like is more realistic, uh, more honest to their experience, and also shapes things a little bit. It's it's a shame that it's revolutionary in any way to show that immigrants are people with a wide range of thoughts, feelings, emotions. Well, I I will say that it's a, a strange time I think to be a brown man in North America who might want to take mass transit or walk down the street without arousing racial discomfort among white people. I. I am experiencing this more and more myself. I've grown a big beard lately. Kind Ooh. of kind of a mistake, maybe. It's a bummer. Like that's one of the great things about being able to grow facial hair is it makes life a little more interesting. You know, <laughs> there's no reason really to grow a beard or have a mustache, but there's also no reason to shave it. Yeah. You do it because it's a little thing that makes life a little more interesting. I bought a uh a a rust-colored backpack right? Uh-huh. I could have had the standard black backpack, but this little thing, the, the color of it makes my day slightly more interesting. Oh, so now I'll shave my, I'll keep a mustache, but not everything else. I'll just grow a beard. Oh, that's a new thing yeah. that I made. And, and now, and, and not everybody can, uh, you know, grow facial hair the way I assume you and I can. Yes, exactly. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. And like I say, like I, I'm, I'm sensitive to perceptions of of myself but i also feel like we're finally seeing brown people like you raise their profiles in pop culture from your perspective are brown people in a good place right now given the tensions in the country that you live in i mean i don't know what that means i mean it's, it, it could if you mean in terms of uh you know I don't man. It's a difficult question, but I do I have seen more I used to watch Saturday Night Live a lot, and I do still actually. And I, I used to think like I wonder why there's never an Indian on Saturday Night Live. Like they, I've never seen one. And and there's never been an Asian person on Saturday Night Live. Right, exactly. And I 
wondered that often, and that's that, that's just a show that has meant a lot to me in my life, and it's a comedy show. And, and it's a show that benefits from flexibility. Yes, exactly. Like a, a diverse ensemble generally is, is what they, when they thrive, it's because they have different key utility players and they bring... Uh, and it also financially better because they save more money on face paint. <laughs> exactly. But what I'm seeing in recent years, and I don't want to name specific people necessarily, but I have seen more... Indian people or people who are brown, let's say, uh, yeah. in these roles. And I think that's great. Um, but I also think it's interesting that that's happened uh, in light of what else is going on in the country in terms of how people perceive race and, uh, and, and who their enemies are, you know, who is attacking their freedom. So that, I, that's where I'm coming from with that question. Well, I see it. I guess, I guess the, the way I put it is it's not one simple linear answer. I think you have the one part of it, which is the more representations you get, the more holistic a view of a person is, right? So at one era, it was just Apu, who is an immigrant caricature. Uh, you know, I, I would argue a, a very you know, racially inaccurate and uh, upsetting character. Voiced by a white guy. White, voiced by a white guy. That's, that's one end of it. And then on the other end, uh, you know, af you know, one end it's harmless. On the other end, uh, brown people will kill you. I mean, that those are the the two parts. And the, you know, as as you and I know, there's a lot in between those two things. Mm -hmm. And so when you uh, see a person, and in, in, in they're let's say an Indian person, you're not you don't see a lot of Indian pe people. You go through all the images, the rolodex of images in your head. What kind of person is this? based on basic uh, visual cues, and which just sucks that that's how humans work, but it seems to be the way they work. And so based on those two visual cues, that's not very comforting. Yeah. Now, if you have a, a larger Rolodex of visual cues, all of a sudden you can see the difference, or you can at least be, be a, a bit more open to the fact that this might be somebody you... Uh, could be friends with or can relate to or can have a conversation with more easily. And that makes them human, which makes it harder to justify broad racial profiling and racism. Right now, but at the same time, that that is happening right now. But that doesn't mean that when that happens, that people get changed in uh, the same linear way. You know, this there's some people who are being transformed slowly by this thing. Young people are being transformed, but there are still people who still don't like brown people. Have very strong feelings about what is destroying the country, which is brown people broadly, whether that be immigrants changing the culture or uh, some uh, visual, like some uh, depiction of, of Muslims. Like that, those images are so strong for those people who are at this point; those are embedded in them that. You know, Aziz Ansari being a dark-skinned Muslim Indian American comedian from South Carolina, he's not going to do the trick. That alone isn't going to shape the narrative for them. No, and, and Aziz has been kind of outspoken. I mean, I think until Master of None, he didn't really... I'm not going to say he didn't acknowledge his culture, but I don't think he made it something he fixated on. He wanted to be no. a comedian first, not yes. a not a, an Indian comedian. And uh, yeah. I think that's a, that's an interesting... I'm I'm encountering... That's not bad. That's not bad. I mean, I think... Because it wasn't like he was being fake. He was being himself. Yes. These are the things he wanted to talk about, just the way I do. Like, 
It's not like I say, I want to talk about these big political issues in the world. No, it's like, I, these are the things I obsess about. Yeah. And he obsesses about what he obsesses about, and I obsess about what I obsess about, and that's why we do what we do. So, you know, I, you know that, that alone is not going to do it. It's going to take a lot longer. So on one hand, you have this, this slow change that is happening over time. And on the other hand, you have the people who are not going to be changed, who are, you know, who are, who are already at a certain point, who hate brown people. So that's, that's what it is. It's like short-term fear, long-term change. Yeah, I, I also am wrestling with this notion of, like when even asking you this question, I sometimes wrestle with this notion that the more we talk about our difference, the less we are going to get over them. Um, and, and that's a complicated argument because I think it's healthy to call people out on yeah. racism and, and the lack of diversity. But on some level, my ethnicity is not something I am even aware of until a, a white person brings it up. Um, I think it's really about a starting point. Yeah. It's not so much about completely ignoring or focusing. It's about where do you start? When somebody comes up to you and asks you, uh, what you are, or uh, you know, what are you, or you know, meaning your ethnicity, or, or where are you from, meaning you know, what country your ancestors come from, or whatever else, uh, or oh, I love Indian food, whatever it is that yeah. starts that conversation. That's the the framing of your relationship with that person, even if it's for the next two minutes. If you start from a place of this is a human being, and we're going to share the things we have in common, because that's how friends are made. It's not by difference. Friends are made through something. Yeah. Even if you're very different than the person, you know, we have nothing in common, but we make each other laugh. We have nothing in common other than we have some cultural similarities. We have nothing in common, but we both have, uh, you know, younger siblings that annoy us, right? That, those are places of, uh, of, of, shared, um, uh, you know, of shared experiences. If you start from there, then a discussion of differences is less... Uh, is not something you're going to be guarded against as much, and it's not going to seem as intrusive. It's going to be seen as it is coming from a friend. We are discussing this as friends. This is about our friendship as well as, as it's about other things. That's a completely different framework. That's a completely different way uh, to think about human beings, and I think that you know keeps people less on the uh, the defensive. Well, that, and it actually is something productive. Yeah, that's interesting because I have been approached by strangers of late who just flat out asked me where I'm from. Right. And my way of trying to be slightly uh, sarcastic but also inclusive is to say, oh, I was born in Ontario. They don't like that, Vish. I know. They don't like that. <laughs> to them, you're playing fucking games with them. But I'm not. It's true. I just am like, oh, I was born in Kitchener. Uh, I was raised in Cambridge. Like, I just say the facts and then... Why are you that skin color, man? Get on with it. <laughs> I have a busy schedule or right? I'm not going to wait and play games with you, right? <laughs> I have to ask eight more brown people today. I know, it's weird. Why? Did, that's what I mean. Like, why do if people... I, if I ask uh, eight or nine more, I get a free coffee. I got to keep doing it. <laughs> well, Harry, uh, you know, I appreciate this. This is not, uh, has been, not has been as light as our Weezer conversation. Uh, <laughs> no. But uh, I, I do think that uh, your record's amazing. And important, and I hope uh, I hope we got to some good stuff here. And and I, I the only note I wanted to offer you, and I don't know if you've thought of this, but you have a joke about Bobby Jindal. Yeah, and you refer to him as an Uncle Tom. I yep. like to tell people uh, jokingly that I'm an Uncle Raj. Have you ever? I, I have used that. I have used that uh, term. Yeah, I, you've you've actually used Uncle Raj. 
Yeah, wow. I don't know why. Maybe Raj, Tom, I've, but Raj specifically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it worked. Uh, Uncle Vikram is a little too broad. Yeah, I think Uncle Raj is Raj is like the Tom equivalent. And uh, yeah, I, <laughs> Tom, Tom is Raj Rajiv. Like, there's something to that. <laughs> anyway, it's a fantastic record. What's What's next for you? You, I mentioned you have all these tour dates coming up. Uh, are you coming to Canada? Do you have other uh, projects in the on the go? I mean, I'd like to tell you that I will be doing a broad tour of Canada and not just Vancouver. But I'll be playing Vancouver soon, I think. And oh, yeah, that's, where, that's why we spoke the last time. You were at the Biltmore Cabaret, as I recall. Yeah, I mean, we're booking the, the date, but it looks like a Vancouver show is, is looking likely. Uh, and look, I'm overdue on Toronto. I know it. I know that the show I'm going to do in Toronto is going to be amazing, and I have to show up because I get messages every time I post tour dates. Why are you avoiding Toronto? I know. We're working on it. You know, there's a very multicultural city, we like to say, Toronto. It is. It is. And I've had a lovely time there. It it sometimes looks like New York. That's why it serves as a a stand-in. So it's uh, it's still, you know, is uh, familiar. And at the same time, uh, you know, things are cheaper, which is nice. So you've been to to Toronto, but you've never performed there. I've, what have I done in Toronto? I did, I've done some stuff, but they were like college Show university shows. Oh, you have okay. I see. But I nothing see. for the public. You know, those are that's a different thing when you're performing for students because not everybody has access to it. Mm-hmm. And with students, it's just a completely different experience um, as opposed to people um, choosing to spend money to see a thing that they like. It's not just well, it's a Thursday night and I got nothing else to do. That's not your ideal audience. Right, right. So you you need to you want to play a club. You want to. I mean, you, I don't. I see want to what... play a, a theater, a rock venue, a club, something, yeah. something where people like are excited to see me, and it's an event. We have just for laughs up here, and they've branched out into a, a JFL forty two. They have a thing in Toronto now, as well, like a festival. You've you've done just for laughs in Montreal, right? Yes, yes, I have. So there's a they have a they've done a thing in Toronto called JFL forty two. Have you heard of that? I have heard of that. I think you should do that. I don't know why you're not doing that, goddammit. That should be a thing that happens. I agree with you. Look, it, <laughs> I'm not avoiding Toronto. I feel terrible. It's some of its scheduling. Like, we will figure it out. I'm going to be up there. And when that show happens, it's going to be amazing, and I know it. So, yeah, Canada soon, a proper tour. Um, also, uh, I got the movie I'm working on, the Apu movie, the podcast with W. Kamau Bell, which I'm very excited about doing. Politically Reactive, it comes out every Wednesday, and sometimes we put two episodes a week. Yep. As of now, it's continuing through the American election, and it's a great podcast. We had Kathleen Hanna on, nice. Robert Reich on. It's been, it's been really fun. We had Amy Goodman on yesterday. Um, and the other pro- the album, of course, Mainstream American Comic, which I want people to pick up. The, it's been amazing so far, the, the response. And the other the last thing I'm working on is uh, I'm, I'm one of the new co-hosts of the Bugle podcast, that uh, Andy Zaltzman did with John Oliver okay. for many years. And uh, John, because of his HBO show, really cannot do it anymore. So there's going to be a bunch of rotating hosts, and I'm one of them. So i got five projects I'm really passionate about, excited to work on, and you know they're all, they'll all be rolling out over the next uh, year plus. Nice. That's great. What is the actual status of the, the Apu documentary? Because I've been hearing about this for a while. It's We're still filming it. It's not done yet. So we still have a lot of people to interview and... And uh, to f- put the finishing touches on it and then the edit. And then from there, I'm, I work on my own TV pilot for my own series. That's the fifth thing I forgot to mention. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so like we're still in the, in the film part of it. 
And just so people understand, the Apu documentary is not simply what what is the actual tone or or theme of that uh, film? I mean, it's it's a it's a question of why does this character exist, and more broadly, why do characters like this exist? Right? This is a char- this is a caricature of an ethnicity, and it's one of the you know early on it was one of the few. Uh, depictions of Indians and Indian Americans, and certainly it was the biggest one for 15 years. That was the biggest one of my youth. Right. Previous generation had monkey brains. Our generation had had a poo. And so it's, uh, you know, it's a discussion of that. Why did that choice get made? Why did uh, uh, that get accepted? How come it lasted until this day? As well as, you know, how insidious these kinds of things are. Even in one of the greatest shows that has ever existed and one of the biggest influences in my life, The Simpsons, something was still there that that that, that hurt me. And yeah. it's weird that, it, you know, something I love so much had that. But if you love something, you're still allowed to criticize it. And that's that's part of this doc. So I assume you touch upon Peter Sellers and the party or Absolutely. Fisher Stevens and Short Circuit, Temple Absolutely. of Doom. All of those and things. The biggest thing I say, though, is, is the Peter Sellers thing, because of the parallels, um, I think is definitely something we touch upon. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. That's great to hear. Well, once again, the new stand-up record by Hari Kondabolu. Did I get it right? Nope. Hari Kondabolu. You're getting close, Vish. Hari Kondabolu? Bolu. Bolu. Like, speak. Yeah. <laughs> Hari Kondo Bolu is a hilarious one called Mainstream American Comic. I'm such an Uncle Raj. I'm sorry. I feel bad. <laughs> I feel bad about my heritage. I am, though. I, I mean, get the call back. I, well done. <laughs> Mainstream American Comic is out now by Akil Rockstars. He'll be touring around the world in the coming months, and you heard about all his projects. For more information, please visit killrockstars.com and Hari Kondo Bolu. Dot com, which is spelled exactly how it sounds. Now, That's not help anybody. <laughs> My website's Google. Just go to Google. You'll figure it out. It's H A R I K O N D A B O L U, and b- Bolu is the Hindi word for well, for speak essentially or testify. I guess is that right? I don't, I'm, I'm Telugu, so I don't know, but I do like the idea that, considering what I do, that that is that could be translated in a language as that. Yeah, that's what it. That's what it. That's what it connotes for me. All right. Anyway, enough about me. Is there a bit from the new record that we can go out on, Hari? Yes, I, I would say let's do uh, the joke about uh, my, you know, my mom and how funny she is, and I think that's that sequence is something that encaptures. My politics, my family, my sense of humor, my sensibilities. Let's let's do that one. It's it's a heartening story because it's clear your mother is a creative consultant for you. Yes, at this point, yes. Yes, okay. So this is uh, Hari talking about his mother from mainstream American comic. Uh, Hari, this was, again, another pleasure to speak with you. Thank you very much for being on this show, and I wish you the best of luck with everything. Absolutely, Vish. Always a pleasure. One of the biggest... Uh... <laughs> One of the biggest criticisms I get in my act is, how come everything has to be political with you? How come everything has to have a political point? I can't help it. I'm a killjoy who does comedy. Like, this, this is how I'm hardwired, right? I'm this annoying in real life, right? Like, my parents are getting older, right? When you have older parents, you have to have difficult conversations with them. What they want for their final wishes, right? Cremation, funeral. These are difficult conversations that I've been having recently. And because I am who I am, I decided it was time to tell my parents what I wanted for my final wishes, right? (laughs) 
So I told them, I said, if I'm ever murdered, it's very important that the killer doesn't get the death penalty because I don't believe in state violence. So don't push for the death penalty. I don't want my death to lead to another death, regardless of what this person did to me or to my body. I don't want the killer to get the death penalty. And I remember what my mother said to me. She said, why do you always have to ruin dinner? It's not about dinner, mom. It's about my final wishes. and They should be respected. You're not that famous, hurry. Nobody's gonna kill you, okay? You don't know that dad tells people I'm Aziz Ansari. You don't even know. I could be killed by accident. Sometimes people ask me, how come when you do impressions of your parents, you don't use accents? And the answer to that question is, fuck you. That's why, that's why I don't use accents. My parents are immigrants with accents. I'm sure they have it hard enough. People questioning their intelligence, making fun of them behind their back. I don't wanna, I don't wanna make their life any harder, even though like they laugh at Chinese accents, so they kind of deserve it. But like, <laughs> But I'm not gonna do that to them. I love my parents. I don't wanna put them through anything else, right? Like I think about what my mom's been through in this country, right? People saying things like, take that dot off your head, or why are you wearing bed sheets out of the house? Or why don't you shut up and make me food? And this is just stuff me and my brother said to her growing up. Now can you imagine what she dealt with out of the house? People who didn't love her. For those of you who are groaning right now, my mom approved that joke, so go to hell, all right? My mom specifically told me to tell that joke. She, she told me to. She said, yes, tell them you're a piece of shit. Tell them that, tell them. Tell them how disappointed you and your brother are. Please tell them that. Tell them about the terrible hand I've been dealt. Please let them know. My mom is the funniest person I know. My mom is the reason I'm funny. My dad's the reason I have anxiety. But my mom, my mom is the reason I'm funny. And like a lot of us, I've taken my mom for granted. So recently I decided to make a list of all the funny things my mom has been saying. So here are a few of my favorite mom jokes, right? <laughs> Actual things that my mom has said. First thing, I called my mom and I said, hey mom, sorry I didn't call earlier this week. And she said, it's okay, it was a relief. And then on Mother's Day, I said, Happy Mother's Day, Mom, how do you feel? And she said, so you ignore me all year and then throw flowers at me for a day? Fuck off. <laughs> and then on the 4th of July, I said, Happy Independence Day, Mom. And she said, thanks, son, but I lost my independence 35 years ago. <laughs> From his excellent new stand-up record, Mainstream American Comic, that was Hari Kondobolu with my mom, accent not included. Thanks to Hari for being back on this program. And if you're in the area, you should know he's playing Detroit, Michigan, July 29th at St. Andrew's Hall. That is the kickoff for his American tour, which uh, lasts up until the end of September and uh, hits many of the American states. So, uh, yeah, go see Hari Kondobolu. He is unbelievable, and uh, thanks again to Hari for being on this program. Uh, that is uh, another episode of Creative Control with Vish Khanna. If you're just uh, 
figuring out uh, what this show is all about, I can give you a little bit more information. You can learn more about it at my website, vishkana.com. There you will find out how you can access the show, download it, stream it, share it via iTunes, audioboom.com, the complete archive of guests, which is quite extensive. This is the 274th episode. You can look at the uh, full list quite clearly on my website under podcast. So go do that and check out old episodes. I'm happy with the show. I hope you I hope you like the show. You can also make a flexible monthly donation to the program to keep the podcast going at patreon.com. Creative Control of Vishkana is on Facebook, on Twitter at Vish Creative, and you can listen to a version of this show every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time via CFRU.ca or if you're in the area via CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph. Alright, that is another episode. Again, thank you, Hari. I'm sorry I got a bunch of stuff wrong. I probably am still getting stuff wrong as I'm speaking, but you were great. And he's very funny and very sharp and very smart. Check out his album. That's it for me. My son Levon is five years old this week. Can you believe it? I can barely believe it. Five years old. Happy birthday to my boy Levon. He's a good boy. He's made appearances on this show before. And I love him, of course. So yeah, five years old. It's time is going quickly. Anyway, speaking of going quickly, I'm gonna go. Goodbye for now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.